Welcome to Gracious Words. Gracious Words is taken from the weekly women's Bible study taught by Cheryl Broderson at Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California. We behold your glory, God, in the face of Christ. It shows us who you are, revealing who you are. On today's program, we are going to learn about the new covenant that Jesus initiated and fulfilled. It's far greater than any sacrifice because it brings us forgiveness. And now here is part one of Cheryl's message titled, The Power of the New Covenant. So let me say something. When it comes to contracts, read the fine print. You know, sometimes those offers come to you like you can have this incredible loan at 0% and it will last for 18 days. And then it will go up to 158 million percent. And you will owe your life, your house, your dog to this company. You know those offers that come in and you need to read the fine print. My mother-in-law, who is 80 years old, just got a puppy. And not just a puppy, a German shepherd puppy that is already still a puppy, almost bigger than my mother-in-law. It was a gift, a birthday gift from one of my sister-in-laws. And she realized that this, this dog needs training. And she feels that she's just a little too old to give it the training that it needs. So she decided to hire a trainer. And the trainer sent the contract to her house. The trainer didn't realize that my mother-in-law for over 40 years was a, an accountant. And so my mother-in-law does something that a lot of people don't do. She reads the fine print. She reads every single word and thinks about the consequences and what this means. Well, there was a caveat in this contract that said this. After the dog is trained for the next 120 days after the last training, The dog trainer is allowed to come at any hour of day and night to check on the welfare of the dog and to make sure that you are following all the directives that she gave you. My mother-in-law looked at that, read that in the fine print and says, well, she's not coming to my house at two o'clock in the morning. And as she began to think about the ramifications about that, she decided not to sign the contract. And she called the the trainer and the trainer said, I have never had anyone disagree to that caveat. And she said, well, they didn't read it, did they? (laughs) They just thought I'm going to get my dog trained. Every contract is a covenant of sorts and it has advantages. If it didn't have advantages, we wouldn't We want to enter into it. There has to be a motivation. You have to get something out of it. 
You know, most of your contracts that you're in right now with a credit card company or with a, they mainly have to do with you got money out of it. <laughs> you, you got to make purchases out of it. And they financed it. There has to be a reason for entering a covenant. When you entered the covenant with your loan company, it was so you could live in your house or drive your car or be able to buy now and make payments later. Again, if it weren't for these advantages, you would never sign on the dotted line and you would never commit yourself to monthly payments. But every contract also includes certain activities on both parts. There are expectations on both sides. Activity is required of both parties. You make the payments and the company provides certain services that are advantageous. Next, a covenant contains authority, right? There are consequences to breaking or not fulfilling the covenant. You might call it covenant curses or consequences for breaking them. If you fail to meet the covenant requirements of a lease, you're evicted. Your car is confiscated. If you fail to make your house payment, fines and penalties and foreclosure. If you fail to make your credit card payment, you will get collection agencies. There's consequences. You know, it's so funny because we accept these consequences materially in this realm, but we fail to realize that there are also spiritual consequences to breaking covenant. Then finally, there's an assurance. There's assurances. There is a security in a covenant. Those under covenant are covered. It's an insurance policy. I know with one of my credit cards, if I buy something and it breaks, I'm covered. When I travel, I've got automatic travel insurance through this credit card. And one of them, I actually found out from Linda Rourke in the office, through one of my credit cards, I get insurance anytime I rent a car. It naturally provides for it. You're saying, which one does that? Can't remember. I think it's actually Brian's credit card, but I'm in Brian and with Brian in another contract. It's called marriage. And therefore, these advantages that are his are also mine. But the author of Hebrews in verses 19 through 39 declares the advantages, the activity, the absolute authority, and the assurance that we have in the new covenant. The new covenant has advantages and they are superior over the old covenant. Whereas in the old covenant, the commoners or the people were excluded from the tabernacle or the Holy of Holies. They were excluded from service to God. In this covenant, there are no exclusions. Paul tells us that in the covenant with Christ, there is neither Jew nor Greek, barbarian nor free, male nor female, but Christ is all and in all. There are no exclusions. And in this new covenant, one of the advantages is that we all have boldness to enter the holiest of all by the blood of Jesus Christ. It's not just that we have access, which in itself would be awesome, but have you ever gotten access into a place you really don't belong? And you're just kind of against the wall going, whoa, this is amazing. But you're not really entering in 
Or, you know, you're just kind of like, you know, just eyes wide open, like, wow, I can't believe I'm here. We don't just have wallflower access. We have confident access. Because we're entering in, not by our own blood, not by our own good works, but we are entering in because the blood of Jesus Christ was powerful, strong enough, great enough to cleanse us from all our sins. We have absolute security and no fear. We are wanted here. And so we go in confidently, hey, dad, it is that You know, um, one of my daughters was just visiting me and I noticed that she had one of my headbands on. I don't know what it is. It's like I get really excited that I have something cool that my daughters like. And I'm like, oh, you like that headband? She goes, yeah, I love it. And I'm like, oh, good. She goes, can I have it? And I'm like, yeah, you can have it. And it happened like five different things. So I don't have any more cool things. They went back to New York. I got to get more cool things. So when she comes out, she thinks I'm cool again. But I was, you know, this girl, I will not refuse her anything. I am so blessed that she comes into my home. I am so blessed. She can, she can ask for anything in my house and I won't refuse it. Even the car. It's like, go drive it. Hallelujah. She didn't ask for that, but because it would be awfully hard. She did ask for some other things. And Brian's like, I hope you don't mind, but I bought her this and this and that. I'm like, man, she comes here impoverished and she leaves rich. She forgot her jeans, you know? So I bought her a pair. She took a couple from my closet. She's stressed. She went back full, but that's how it is. We enter into the holiest of all impoverished, but we go away full. We go away with everything we need. Oh God, <laughs> that, that provision looks so good. Take it, take it. Oh God, that mercy looks amazing. Take it, it's yours. Oh God, you know, that love. I'd really like some of that. Then take all you want. We go in impoverished, but we go in boldly and we leave full with all that our arms can carry as much as we want. And we go into this higher place with confidence by a better way, a better way. We don't try to get in there by sacrifices or by a high priest because that didn't work. We go in by a new and living way, according to verse 20, that was consecrated or made especially for us. You see, Jesus came to make this way, to give us access, to give us our own special pathway into the holiest of all, through the veil, through his own body, through his own flesh, he has made us this new and living way. And not only that, he is the high priest. He is our companion. The one who is over the entire house of God, over all creation, we know and we have a relationship with. 
It is this one who has come and lived our life, has gone through the whole human experience and then died for our sins, who is our high priest. He loves us. It is the one that loves us, that he would not refuse us anything, even his own life. This is our high priest. This is our companion. This is our way in. He knows us. He is known by us. He belongs to us. We belong to him. He sympathizes with us. And he has power and prestige with God. And he has offered for us the perfect and eternal sacrifice. So we have confidence because we are with our high priest. Our confidence is the one who has made access for us and who goes with us into the holy of holies. Now, the activity of the new covenant, we enter into the holiest of all. Again, 1920, this is our activity. We go in, we pray. We pray. Hebrews 4.16 says that we go boldly into and before the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and grace to help in the time of need. We go daily. We go hourly. Sometimes we go minute by minute, second by second. But we go there to obtain mercy and find all the grace we need to help in the time of need. We do not stand outside and ask others to go in for us. Would you, would you go in there for us, for me? I, I have this problem. Would you take it to God for me? I mean, that's okay, but what you need to do is, will you go in with me as I take this problem to God? You yourself have an entrance into the throne room of God. You need to enter. That's part of the activity You need to draw near to God. Verse 22, the law, prophets, rituals, sacrifice, feasts were not an end in themselves. That's not the end. In fact, we're told in Romans 10, 4, that Jesus is the end or the purpose, the objective of the law for all who believe. He's where it culminates He's the reason for all of it. It's where it finds its meaning. It's where it finds its purpose. But these believers were trying to make the law an end in itself. Like, oh, if I obey the rules, God will accept me. Oh, if I perform the rituals, God will accept me. Oh, if I give the right sacrifice, God will accept me. Oh, if I celebrate the right feasts in the right way at the right time, God will accept me. No. No, they all pointed to the way of acceptance with God, Jesus Christ. Prayer, the Bible, that's not an end in itself. They are to bring us near to God. They are to bring us to our heavenly father and give us relationship. It's the word of God that tells us what he's done. It's the word of God that tells us what he's like. It's the word of God that tells us what pleases God and what doesn't please God. It's the word of God that directs our paths. 
but it is through prayer that we are empowered to live the word, to do what it says. The Holy Spirit comes in and it's that grace that we receive in that throne room that allows us to live it out. In the gospels, I don't know if you remember this, but the Herodians come to Jesus and they come with this hypothetical situation. And they said, "Um, you know, Lord, there was this, woman and she married a man and he died and they didn't have any children, but she married his brother according to the Levitical law and he didn't, they didn't have any children. He died. Then she married the other brother. He died without children. Then she married the fourth brother. (laughs) Believe it or not, he died and they didn't have any children. This was a big family. There was a fifth brother. He died not having any children. I remember my dad used to tell this and say, I checked the coffee. Anyway, she married the uh, fifth brother. He died, no children. Something was going on in this family. Sixth brother, he died, no children. Seventh brother, he died, no children. And then they said, okay, now here's a dilemma. If, If there is a resurrection from the dead, Which brother does she belong to? And Jesus said, you do greatly err, old King James, or you're making a big mistake, Cheryl translation, because you do not know the scriptures or the power of God. It's got to be the combo. We need to know the scriptures, but prayer Prayer empowers the scriptures in our life. You see, they're meant to draw us into the throne room of grace, to give us this personal relationship. We draw near to God. And how do we draw near? We draw near with full assurance of faith. Assurance. Again, confidence, security, knowing that all our bases are covered. You were not like the high priest who just sacrificed and said, no, I didn't think a bad thought, did I, between the, you know, the, the bronze altar and the Holy of Holies, because if I did, I'm dead. We've got all our bases covered. We've got everything we need. We've been purified from an evil conscience. Our bodies have been washed with a pure water. Remember, the high priest had to bathe twice and put on these holy garments before he could enter into the Holy of Holies one day a year on Yom Kippur. But he tells us we can go into this throne room. We can draw close to God with full assurance of faith because our hearts have been purified from an evil conscience. Our bodies have been washed with pure water. Everything we need has been covered and we can get close to God. James 4, 8 says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. When you go into that throne room, God draws near to you. He opens the doors wide. We can get close to God and have a relationship with him. He is our Abba, Father. We can cuddle up in his arms. Whenever I was afraid, As a little girl, what I wanted more than anything else was to hold my dad's hand. His hand was so big and so strong. And I remember even as a little girl, when I didn't want to hold his hand, 
I couldn't wriggle out of it. And boy, did I try. I was hyperactive. You know, I had all these movements. And boy, he'd get a grip. He was hyperactive too, so he knew. He knew me. In fact, he said one time, you're hyperactive, just like me. And then my Aunt Virginia, she's talking to my mom, and she's like, I was hyperactive? Chuck was hyperactive? And Cheryl's hyperactive? Like, this is our team, you know? And then there's Kay's team. What about your team, you know? (laughs) Your team relaxed. We're team hyper. But I couldn't wriggle out of his grip. And boy, did I try. But he had a grip on me. And his hand was so strong. I remember one time he picked me up by my little wriggly hand. And I'm like dangling. Like, you know, to be kept from danger. To be, I think it was a car that was coming and I didn't see it. And I'm trying to pull him. We have a heavenly father, an Abba father. And we can draw near to God. Because he loves us, because he wants us, and he wants to be our father. Then the author says in verse 23, we hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering because he who promised is faithful. We don't let go. We don't let go of the word of God. And that's where our confidence is. Our confidence is if Jesus said it, it's true. My dad used to say, never give up what you've learned in the light for what you can't see in the darkness. Never give up what you know. Moses said in Deuteronomy 29, 29, something kind of like my dad. He said, the secret things belong to the Lord our God, but those things which are revealed belong to us and to our children forever. There are certain things that we don't understand, but you don't let go of the things you know. You don't exchange the things you know for the things you don't know. That's just not wise, is it? You hold on, you get a grip, you hold fast. We keep holding on to the gospel no matter what the circumstances No matter what the persecution, no matter what the threats, no matter what the hardship, no matter what the doubts, the questions, or the perplexities, we keep holding on to our confession of our hope that Jesus is the way, that Jesus has died for our sins and risen again. On this earth, we are not going to know everything. We're not going to be able to explain everything. But we know enough to know the truth and to get into the throne room. And we hold on to those things we know to be true. This reminds me of Eleazar. Eleazar was one of David's mighty men. In First Chronicles 11, verses 12 through 13, we learned that the Philistines were attacking Israel. And Eleazar stood in a field of barley and he refused to give way to the Philistines. He just stood there with his sword in his hand. And because he stood there holding fast to his sword, the Philistines were repelled. They had to leave and they couldn't take that field away from Israel. One man standing in a field 
with his sword was able to repel the enemy. In 2 Samuel 23.10, talking about that same event, we're told that he was so weary and so tired when the battle was over that they had to pry the sword out of his hand, that his hand stuck fast to the sword. That's what it is to hold fast, that nobody can get the Word of God out of your hand. Jesus provides something for us that the Old Covenant never could, and that is access to God. Under the Old Covenant, only the high priest could enter the Holy of Holies, once a year on the Day of Atonement. All other people were excluded. Under the New Covenant, that all changed. We now have access to God and can enter into His presence with boldness at any time. We can have boldness because we enter not by our own works, but by the blood of Jesus, our perfect high priest. We hope you have been blessed by today's Bible study. For more information about the Gracious Words radio program and the teaching ministry of Cheryl Broderson, please visit our website at graciouswords.com. Coming up next time on the Gracious Words program, we'll look further at the new covenant as we continue our series, Our Great Faith, in the book of Hebrews with Cheryl Broderson. We do hope you make plans to join us. Again, for more information, please visit our website at graciouswords.com. This program is sponsored by Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California.